this thing with the Christmas being on a Saturday is, I don't know about you guys, it's kind of tough. You get up Sunday more, it, the whole week feels odd or the holiday feels odd because it is on a weekend and perhaps because especially it's on a Saturday. Sunday normally feels somewhat climactic related to the week and this week it feels anti-climactic because we're picking up the pieces from yesterday's Christmas gathering. Um, related to Christmas, if you remember, we did talk about three messages for the Christmas season. And just ask yourself this, review, look back a little bit. Did you have and take opportunities to witness related to the Christmas season? Remember we talked about being a witness. Not hard work. Sometimes it's just telling other people what you know to be true or what's happened to you. Opportunities for witnessing this Christmas season. Or worshiping, not only recognizing Jesus as the little baby that came down, but seeing the opportunity basically to worship our Lord and Savior again during the Christmas season. And the last was the wonder, the wonder, really, the unbelievable awe of the incarnation itself, of God becoming man. This is just mind-blowing. We talked about that last week. So anyway, think back. Christmas Day has come and gone. We'll probably have leftovers for another couple days or so. But really, Christmas this year is history. You know, the year is almost over, too. The dust is settling on 2004. And rather than wait till next week, the first Sunday of the new year, I'm basically going to talk about a wrap-up of 2004 and talking about plans for where we're headed in 2005. And when I say where we're headed, I mean where are each of us individually heading? What does that look like? Do you remember I talked about thinking of the Christmas season and did you have or did you take opportunities to witness and worship and wonder but also think back here. This is the last Sunday of 2004. 52 weeks ago, we talked about in this year, in 2004, we talked about looking for signs of life this year. How many were here January 4th? Uh, half or so. Okay. I thought it was a great message. If you didn't hear it, you missed a good one. So, yeah, you know, one of my better, I think. But uh, anyway, it was looking at the new year for signs of life. What was God doing? How was God bringing life into your life? What did that look like? And we talked about being like a bird dog. For the ladies that didn't hunt, this wasn't particularly helpful. But when you let the bird dog out into the field, he sticks his nose in the air. He's looking for signs of life. And that we wanted to bring that same sense of intensity or purpose. Lord, what are you doing? How are you leading? Where are the signs of life you're bringing into my life in this year in 2004? If you haven't, this last week of the year, this morning, days to come, this is a really opportune time to look back and reflect. How did God lead? What was he saying to you? How did he show you signs of life this year? And to look forward, Lord, what have you got for 2005? What do I need to do to be prepared for what you have for me? this coming year, and we'll talk more about this here in just a minute. But uh, reflecting on the past, where have we been, what has God accomplished, and where are we going? The end of the year is just a very opportune time to do this. Signs of life was the theme, my theme, for basically looking at the panorama of the year that's now come and gone. Um, and I want to introduce you to a new one. Let me offer you a new picture or a blueprint, as it were, for your outlook on 2005. If you've got another one, great. But if you don't, think about entertaining this one. And this is from Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4. This is a verse that's near and dear to my heart. And it goes like this. By wisdom, a house is built. 
By understanding, it is established, and by knowledge, its rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Say that again. By wisdom, a house is built. By understanding, it's established, it's made sure. And by knowledge, its rooms, the house itself, the life inside, is filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Let me read this again, and let me substitute a couple words. By wisdom, my life is built, and by understanding, my life is established, and by knowledge, my life is filled with all precious and pleasant riches. In other words, as a construct, if you will, for your life and mine for 2005, at least entertain the thought of seeing your life in 2005 as a house, as the house of Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. All of us, I think, would agree, gosh, we'd like a pleasant life. We'd like precious and pleasant things in the rooms that are our occupation here on earth, our time and our experiences. We don't want to have a house, a life and experience on earth that is going to crash or fall down or is filled with downside kinds of events or occurrences. We would like a a house that's built and established, it's solid, and it's pleasant, and there's precious things in our life. And so that's what I want to explore this morning. So by my, my life, by wisdom, my life is built. By understanding, my life is established. By knowledge, my life is filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Uh, the first thing, I've talked about this before, but let me hasten to say again, you know, the first thing, if you go to build something, you've got to be first concerned with. It's, it's what other people care almost nothing about, but it's all important to you if you're the builder, and it is the foundation. You can't build better or stronger or wider or bigger than your foundation allows. And, you know, once your house is in and built, no one looks at it. No one looks at your foundation. We take it for granted. But you know what? If your foundation is inadequate, you're going to know. And you'll know little simple things like if you have cracks in your walls and ceilings, a lot of times it's because your foundation's inadequate. Or if your floors slope and sag, it's because you've got foundation issues. Or if your basement walls are cracked or displaced inward or outward, it's because you've got foundation issues. If our foundation's what it should be, you know what? The rest of life we take things for granted. If it's not what it should be, We've got problems, and those problems come up in a host of ways, various times and over various course of events. So the first thing, if we're going to look at our life as this house, this structure that we want to see raised, we want to see it built and established and then its rooms filled, it starts with the foundation. It starts with the foundation. According to this proverb, it's wisdom and it's understanding that build and establish the house, the structure, and therefore the foundation. It's wisdom and it's understanding that we're going to build on if we're going to build this house that's built to last, that's established and filled with precious things. Now, if you say, well, where do we go to get wisdom, you know, to build this kind of a life? Where do we go to get understanding? And knowledge will come up here in a minute, too. Where do we go to get these things? In the Sunday school, we were talking about Proverbs as a source of wisdom, and we've got a few Proverbs here a little later yet. I'm going to skip Proverbs because I'm going to go straight to Colossians chapter 2 to say, if we want this life that Proverbs 24 describes, if we want our house, that is our life, our family life, 
to look like this pleasant and precious experience, Colossians 2, verses 2 and 3 tell us where to go to get wisdom and understanding. And Paul tells the Colossians, by the way, this was a group of people that were distracted by what was called knowledge. That is, they were being told by a group that's called the Gnostics today, Gnostic is knowledge, by these people who were pushing knowledge, they said, hey, there's secret knowledge. There's secret knowledge that makes life really worth living. And you've got to have the secret knowledge if you're really going to be in the know. Secret knowledge. Paul says, we'll have none of this. Colossians 2, verse 2 and 3, he is tearing down that lie that you've got their secrets that only some Christians get to know. He says, in contrast to that, in the middle of Colossians 2, 2, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is what is otherwise unrevealed, God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul tells the Colossians, this group that's entertained by thoughts of higher wisdom and secret knowledge, he says, guys, this is the deal. If you want wisdom and knowledge, go to Christ. In Christ are hidden. It's not that they're hidden out of reach. It's that they are in Him. So if you want wisdom and knowledge and understanding to build a life on, Paul says, hey, there's only one place to go. There's one source, and it's not hard to get to. You go to Christ. Forget secret. This is kind of like, uh, you know, all the advertisements you see on TV, if you want to really be healthy, everybody's got a formula to be healthy. You know what? Uh, You know, the pills... The exercise machines, the purges, I mean, you name it, you know, all the ways to be healthy. You know, but the truth is there's a few basic things you do to be healthy. It's kind of like that. People will offer you all kinds of ways to build a successful life. And Paul says, you know what, you want it? Go to Christ. In Christ are hidden. They're laid up. They're stored up for you and I. All wisdom, all understanding, all knowledge. If you want it, it's in Christ. So for you and I, if we want this successful, pleasant life that Proverbs 24 describes, Paul says, you want that wisdom, you go to Christ. You want that understanding, you go to Christ. They're in Christ. If you and I want this life, we go to Christ. Now, most of us will accept this and say, well, sure, that's a given. And this is, these, these are the ABCs of spiritual life, aren't they? But you know what? I have found, and, and I heard a guy say years and years ago, We never get beyond our foundation. We never get beyond our foundation. In our men's group, every time we meet, we never get beyond, how are your quiet times? What's the Lord speaking to you in the scriptures? Where are you reading in your Bible? Guys, because that's Christ. That is the experience of Christ on earth. It's me spending time with him in the scriptures, in his word, and then shoveling off to him, as it were, the things that concern me in prayer. In other words, if I want wisdom and understanding, I go to Christ and I go to Christ when I meet with him each day in the scriptures. Between the covers of my Bible, that's where I find Christ. And I find Christ when I unload to him, when I entrust to him the things that concern me, the things that would otherwise cause me worry. It's hard to appreciate pleasant, precious riches if you're eaten up by worry and stress. And it's certainly possible. In fact, probably most of us live here more often than we like to think or say. So if we want this life with a foundation that we can count on, come what may, we need wisdom and we need understanding. 
And Paul says, if you're looking for those things, don't go any further than Christ. So for you and I, if you're going to build a successful life, as it were, in 2005, you'll do so by gaining wisdom and understanding, and there's only one source for it. It's in the person of Christ revealed in his word. We also talked in Sunday school about the Holy Spirit's witness to us. And, you know, when we go to the scriptures, it is possible to simply read through your Bible the way you'd read a book, close the covers and say, I read my Bible. And that would really be a shame because we want to spend the kind of time in the scriptures in which we're turning these truths over in our mind. By the way, you know, you can gain lots of knowledge. That is, you can gain facts. You can gain the knowledge of things and have absolutely no wisdom. That is, wisdom requires knowledge, but wisdom knows how to take those things that are true and implement them or synthesize them. Knowledge or facts by themselves are generally useless. It's wisdom that takes those things and knows how to put them together appropriately. So when you and I read our Bible for next year to build this structure that's established and that's filled with the kinds of things you and I want to enjoy, we do so by building a foundation that is Christ and his word. It's our relationship with him. That's where we gain wisdom. It's where we get understanding. It's the source of knowledge. If you're not hanging out with the Lord in the scriptures and in prayer, you will not have this kind of a foundation. You will not have this life. And I feel personally like this is my soapbox, that I almost never get beyond encouraging people, admonishing people, exhorting people to start your day with the Bible. Quiet time, devotional life, call it what you may. But the reason is this, it's because the Bible espouses it, it's because I personally know it's true by experience, and it's because I know for most Christians it is not their habit of life. In fact, no matter what group I've been in, when we take these little polls, the people who start each day with the Lord in the scriptures and prayer are always the vast minority, which means most of us are not building on solid foundation. Most of us are not filling rooms with pleasant and precious things. And this is a shame. This is a shame because, just think of it this way. God the Father goes to the trouble to send his son, the only thing in the universe he really cares about or cares most about, it's his son. So he sends his son to the earth to die for our sins. This is inexpressible. I mean, Christ suffering on the cross, becoming sin, God who abhors sin becomes sin for you and I, dies in our place on the cross and then rises from the dead and goes back to heaven, sends his spirit, who's got all these gifts, these goodies, these Christmas boxes for us, if you will. And in essence, we say, well, Lord, they're nice, but I'm interested in other things. Do you see what I mean? The Lord's gone to all the trouble to present with to us all the things we could need or want or desire. But most of us, so often, we, we're just saying the, the packages are there under the tree and we're saying, eh, you know, I'm interested in other things, Lord. I'm not interested in those gifts or those packages. You've gone to the trouble to buy for me. And so the not uncommon experience for Christians is that your Bible collects dust on the shelf. All of us have Bibles at home. It's ridiculous. I'll bet I've got 20. I might have 30 Bibles in my house. And some of that's for study, but some of it's just because Bibles are so common. All of us have Bibles, and most of them collect dust. This is a tragedy. This is a shame. And especially in the sense that as we grow as Christians, we should have, we should grow in this appreciation that our dad has provided us with something 
he considers valuable. And so we show our appreciation to our dad by simply entertaining the notion that that box under the tree might be of some value to me. If he wants to give it to me, if he's done what it takes to give me these gifts and this wisdom and this knowledge, gosh, it might even be in my best interest to open those packages. So let me just encourage you again as strongly or as lightly as you want to hear it. Uh, start your days in 2005 by spending your first time with Christ. And <clears throat> uh, Martin Luther had this saying, something like this, my bad paraphrase. He said, I have so much to do today that I must spend the first three hours with the Lord in prayer. I'm so busy, he said. How can I not spend the first three hours with the Lord? And his rationale went something like this. I've got so much to do. It's overwhelming, really. It's too much to do. So what am I going to do? How can I be effective through this day? I'm going to take all these things that concern me, and I'm going to give them to the Lord this morning in prayer. Now, you and I are not busier than Martin Luther. He had a few plates on the fire, didn't he? You know, a little reformation going on, you know. It was a busy plate. It was a busy life. He said, I've got to start every day with the Lord in prayer. You know, you and I are not busier than, than Marty was. And his admonition is a good one to us. You and I are never too busy to start our days with the Lord. I'm always happy when somebody's having a quiet time at any time of day, night. And there's some of you in here. It's night. And I say, okay, you know, if it works for you, great. But preferable to me is the morning. And it's true for a couple things. It starts my day with the Lord. I think that's important. It centers my thought. It focuses my attention on Christ and what's true, on wisdom and knowledge and understanding. It builds my day, as it were, on the knowledge and understanding and relationship with Christ. That's important. The other thing is this, though. You know, you read in Proverbs 3 that related to giving, God says, you give to me your first, not your last. Give to me from your first fruits. And you remember that when, especially under the Jewish law, giving to God wasn't just a good thing for the priests who got fed, you know, it wasn't just good for the temple. It was good for the people who gave because it was this reminder. Every time I give to God, it's not the last thing I do, it's the first. And it reminds me that I give him the first because everything else I have is his anyway. So when I give him the first, it's a reminder, it's all his. And this is another good reason why I think devotions are best served. Have them all day, have them three times a day if you want, but have one in the morning, because when we give to God the first bit of our time in the day, we're saying, Lord, it's all yours. My whole day is yours, not just the end of the day, but all my day. When I can, I start my day in the scriptures and I end my day in the scriptures. That's why I've got a Bible next to my bed. Because if I'm not just so stinking tired, when I lie down under my covers, I get my Bible and I read. And I might just read one psalm. And I might read the same psalm for a week. It doesn't matter, but what I'm trying to do is I'm starting my day with the Lord. I'm ending my day with the Lord. And if you and I want to build a life next year that lasts, that counts, that has a solid foundation, you can't do it apart from Christ. Not only because he's the source of all life, but because it's in him and therefore in the revelation of himself, which he's given us in the scriptures, that we gain the wisdom and the understanding to build the right structure, to put down the right foundation. Paul said, a great scene in Acts 20, Paul is leaving this group of disciples and elders from Ephesus. He's there on the beach, 
It's a, it's a touching scene. And he knows he'll never see them again. He knows he'll be arrested once he gets to Jerusalem. And so knowing he'll never see them again and knowing that they're going to face trouble from within. In fact, he tells them, some of you will rise up speaking perverse things to draw people after yourselves. Knowing he won't see them again, knowing they're facing trouble. This is what he says. He says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. When you and I give ourselves to God and to the word of his grace, the scriptures, we're doing, we're doing this. We're building on a solid foundation. If we don't see each other again, but we knew this was true of each other, we'd say, oh, they'll be okay. It'll be all right. Because they're committing themselves to God, to the word of his grace. You and I can build no better house, no better structure, no better life than by beginning it, by laying that foundation on Christ himself, gaining our wisdom and our understanding from him. That second phrase is knowledge. It's knowledge that fills the rooms with pleasant and precious riches. Let me read to you, Jonathan, thinking of you, a couple of verses out of Proverbs related to knowledge. Uh, knowledge is uh, admonished on us throughout the scriptures, but certainly no more so than in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 2.6 says, The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, when this is talking about knowledge, I've already mentioned, this is not facts. This is not arithmetic. Two plus two equals four. This is the kind of knowledge that's implemented by wisdom so that you know what to do and what not to do. That's the kind of knowledge that Proverbs is talking about. Uh, Proverbs is a great, great book because it, it displays a way of life. And it says, if you want to live well, you've got to fear God and gain understanding and knowledge from Him. And then life's good. Then you fill those rooms, and then you experience all this bounty from the Lord, but it's because you've started by putting God first, fearing Him, and then seeking the knowledge that's from Him. Related to filling the rooms, when I walk through our house sometimes, in fact, this was funny. We, for Christmas Eve, we put on some old family videos. And one of them was when we just moved into the house we're in. And you know what? The walls are naked. Now, if you've been in our house, you'd know this is not our house today. The walls are naked and white. There's nothing there. Well, if you walk through that same room, I'm thinking of the living room today, the walls are three shades of green. There are, I don't know, there might be 15 pictures on the walls, you know. And now there's furniture in this corner from Grace Robinson, and there's pictures from her house on the wall here. Anyway, I walk through there, and I realize, what a transformation. But you see, the transformation didn't happen overnight. There's 12 years difference between those old white walls, my wife's activity, and today. 12 years. So when I walk through today, sometimes I think of this verse and I think about, Lord, I feel like I'm in this house, this life that's got these pleasant, precious riches around me. But the thing is, they didn't come overnight. They didn't come in a moment. They came gradually over time. And one of the things you need to think about in building our life in 2005 is that generally, excuse me, good things don't come in a moment. Sometimes they do. But more generally, it's related to the kind of a, a description you see in the Gospels that, or in the Old Testament, 
that a farmer goes out and he, he plants the seed. And then the seed has to break down in the soil. It goes through seasons before it breaks the soil, grows up, and then produces fruit. So that the farmer, when he throws that seed down in the spring, let's say, he knows it's months before he has a harvest, but that doesn't stop him. He's still investing, knowing that eventually these things are going to come to fruition. And one of the things we need to have on this thing about building your life and seeing good things in it, seeing these rooms filled with precious and pleasant riches, is that most of these things take time. Most of these things take, take time. So our investment day by day, at any given point along the way, it may not look like much. It's the long haul that we need to keep in mind on these things. The pictures in our house, you know, some of them are old, but some of them are new. Or the paint on the wall, some of it's old and some of it's newer and, and so forth. And, and this is the way our lives go. We gain riches or wealth. These rooms are filled, but for the most part, it's slowly, it's over time, it's a process. And so don't get discouraged if you're thinking, Lord, I'm plugging away here, but I'm not seeing much of this stuff. Well, keep plugging because eventually these things do come to fruition. These things ripen and you will see these pictures on your wall or you will see the walls painted or whatever that looks like for you. <clears throat> so one thing is to remember that that the riches and these good things, these pleasant things in your life experience generally come with time and with consistent investment over time. The other thing, though, along this line to remember is this. <clears throat> you and I are here this morning, but you or I may not be here next week. And I don't mean because we're in another town. I mean because maybe we won't be on this earth anymore. <clears throat> 2005 may be your last year on planet Earth. You don't know and I don't know. Today may be your last day on Earth. You don't know and I don't know. One of the things I appreciated about being a firefighter was that I saw death all the time. You know, I would often ask myself, I had people die in front of me. I would often ask myself, Lord, did they know today was their last day on Earth? See, most of them didn't, of course. Some of them were sick and knew they were dying. Most often, these were folks they didn't know. That day that I saw them, that day that I met them, it was their last day on earth. And they woke up that morning and they didn't know. They had no clue that this would be it. Well, see, you and I, we have no promise of tomorrow. We have no promise even of next year. You know, that's why you read in things like Hebrews, you know, if today you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. You don't know that you've got tomorrow. Today is all we know we've got. Today is all we know we've got. So related, we're extending this a little bit. But when you think about next year, do this. Say to yourself, Lord, if 2005 is my last year, I want to make it count. So think in these terms. At the end of next year in 365 days and change, whatever we've got here left of 2004, and you knew that December 31st, 2005, you're gone. Your time on earth is over. How would that shape what you do next year? What would you invest in? When you knew you were checking out December 31st next year, what would you want to make sure was done? Either related to the Lord, Lord, I know you hold me responsible for some things. I've got to discharge some responsibilities next year. Or related to others. 
I have a care or concern for other people that God's put in my life. And I want to make sure that before I leave, I have done this for them, or I have told them this, or whatever. You see where, where I'm going? If you knew 2005 was your last year, what would you make sure you accomplished? What would be your priority next year? Think about it in those terms. On one hand, we, we get these pleasant and precious things because of long-term investments. But on the other hand, we don't know that we've got a long-term to invest. So what am I going to do? How am I going to plan out tomorrow and next year? Uh, someone has said, I can't remember which philosopher, the unexamined life is not worth living or something like that. It, it's appropriate for us, whether you do it at the end of the year or the beginning of the year, whether you do it July 4th, it doesn't matter when. But all of us need to take stock at time and say, Lord, where am I at? Where am I going? And what does it take to get there? And at the end of this year, great time to review where I've been, what were the signs of life, where I'm going, how am I going to build my life in 2005? What does that look like? How am I building my foundation? And what am I investing in to see pleasant and precious things in the rooms that are my life? And if next year is your last year on the earth, what do you need to accomplish? What do you need to do? Now, <clears throat> when I say this, <clears throat> don't misunderstand <clears throat> and think that you've got to carry burdens God's not giving you. Again, in Sunday school class this morning, we talked about this, but... You know, you read the Gospel of John, and Jesus only had, he had a relatively short life, didn't he? About 33 years. Short life. I've lived 15 years longer than Jesus did. He lived a short life. But you know, at the end of his life, he said, I fulfilled my Father's purpose. He left nothing undone. And when he met people, and he spoke or didn't speak, he healed or he didn't heal, his explanation was this, I always do what I see the Father doing. I only do those things my Father asks me to do. So if you knew 2005 is your last year, you're not carrying the weight of the world that you've got to accomplish gargantuan tasks. You just have to ask yourself each day and each year, Lord, what do you want from me? What is it that you've given me to do? It's not an impossible task. It's not a, the weight of the world on our backs. Not at all. We're just simply asking Dad today, or Dad this year, what do you want from me? What do you want me to accomplish? Father, in my life, what are you doing, and what do you want me to be doing related to you or in the lives of others? This is doable. This is not hard. And it's because this is true that you and I don't have to live anxious lives. We don't have to pull anything off. We simply walk in relationship with Christ and then do the things we believe he's giving us to do. And this would be a life well lived. This would be a life on a good foundation with precious and pleasant things. Let me close with this <clears throat> two verses out of Matthew 7. This is the Sermon on the Mount. When Kathy and I were in our first year, I think we made a, a wall hanging of these verses. Jesus said there in Matthew 7, 24 and 25, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, he can be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and burst against that house, but it didn't fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. And that's really what we're talking about. 
We're just talking about meeting with the Lord, gaining the insight from his word, and doing the things he knows he's calling us to do. So for 2005, think two thoughts, if you will. If you've got another way of thinking about it, great. If 2005 is my last year, what do I need to accomplish? And then think about Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. By wisdom, my life is built. By understanding, my life is established. And by knowledge, my life, the house, the structure that is my life, is filled with all precious and pleasant riches. This is from J.S. Hoyland. He said, Father, this day for our home we pray thee, our home which small and unknown though it be, may yet most plainly show forth thine eternal glory. May thy love everlasting be reborn in our home this day. May we take of the sacrament all day long of thine own great love in the life of our home. May we meet with thee here, may we know thee here, be drawn very close to thy side, see revealed in mysterious splendor, incarnate once more upon earth, thy life, thy love, in our home this day. Father, we pray thee, give us grace for this highest, holiest task to build up a perfect life that shall give to thyself the omnipotent God power to create through weak human lives, thine own perfection of love. Father, thanks that in Christ Jesus you've done all the work for us and that you invite us to walk in his victory. Lord, thanks that through Christ we are more than conquerors through anything that faces us today or tomorrow or next year. Lord, thanks that you have abundantly provided for us all that pertains to life and to godliness. Father, thanks that you've not left us as orphans, but you have given us your spirit so that both your church and we as individuals have your personal presence, leadership, and guidance. Father, help us to start each day by giving it to you through spending time with you in your word, by beholding you, by turning over in our minds the things that are true concerning you and Lord, help us to commit to you each day the things that concern us that you've given us responsibility for. Give those to you in prayer. Lord, thanks that pleasing you is utterly doable. Help us to entrust ourselves to you, Lord, for what remains of this year. Help us to make it our goal, Lord, to build a life in 2005, whether it's the first of many more or the last, Lord, to build a life that you can bless, to build this life that's built and established and filled with the kind of precious and pleasant things, Lord, that you mean to bless us with. Lord, we throw ourselves with reckless abandon upon you and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.